growth hacking is actually not like this mysterious thing. All it is, is just remember who you're doing this for and act like it. Not just in, in, in marketing terms, but in actual terms. Because at the end of the day, the ad will get me to call, but the experience will get me to stay. Welcome to The Lead Creative, where we talk to the creative minds behind some of the leading brands, businesses, organizations, and top ideas that we all love. Our chats range from building brands, conceptualizing new products, strategy, and building businesses. I'm your host, Monges Mtati. Today, we are joined by an award-winning brand and advertising strategist, a thinker who has been instrumental in building brand campaigns across the African continent from Nigeria, Kenya, Ethiopia, and many other African countries. Lebukhang Mukansi, thank you for joining us. Hi, Mungezi. Thank you for having me. I have a lot of conversations with you, and I'm always fascinated by your the title that you've chosen for yourself, I would say, in recent years, because, I mean, I knew you first as, you know, a sort of brand strategist, creative strategist inside the advertising agency. And, you know, you still kind of wear that hat a lot of the time, but you also now call yourself a growth hacker, right? So what is this growth hacker? What does it entail to be a growth hacker? Growth hacking is what happens when strategy stops being useful. And when I mean stops being useful, I mean it stops being useful in terms of being a business tool, but rather a tool for the agency to sell communications work. Hmm. Which is cool in the short run, but in the long run, the clients are not getting any value for what they pay for, which is agency. It's in the name. It says, it says advertising marketing agency. So growth hacking is really what happens when the agency or the thinker says to the client, actually, the issue here is not the marketing. The issue here is the product itself. Can you go back and fix the product? Can you go back and fix the service? Growth hacking is about building rather than shouting. It's about creating solutions as opposed to marketing existing bad solutions. So case in point would be something like Airbnb. Airbnb is a growth hack. Right. People needed somewhere to stay that was not a hotel and that was not four walls that was cold. People needed to stay with people because people like people. And in fact, it's always best to visit a local or it's always Mm. best to have a local. So it's, it's not about necessarily marketing yourself in a genius way. It's about saying, can we evolve product to meet product market fit? So an essential part of growth hacking is this idea of getting to the ultimate or the apex product market fit. So this means something like Airbnb started as 
a dude in a flat with a few inflated beds serving breakfast to people who yes, yes. make the stay. But yeah. they iterated all along and they threw out the breakfast and they threw out the mattresses and they partnered up with other people and started providing the service as a way to make money for other people. And as that now, yes. now there's something else in there, Lebo, that I'm finding interesting, yes. and which is also what you started out with. And we will go back to, we'll get back to the Airbnb story and how you know an alternative model comes in and disrupts how things are done. Now, one of the things you say is that you know growth hacking is a process of of almost sometimes questioning the product, you know, and, and talking to uh, the growth of both the product and brand and asking the brand in some instances to go back and kind of change the product. So sometimes though, you get, you get what you get, you know, a car manufacturer gives you this car and says, we've created, you know, we've created model X of this brand please go out there and communicate it. So now how do you reverse the process? Should you find a flaw in either how the brand wants to communicate this new product versus perhaps flaws in the communication model that they kind of want to approach? How do you go back to the brand and a brand's receptive really to this creative innovation of going back and changing the product or making alterations? So ultimately I... As I say in my, in my bio, I am champion of the people, but I am, I am also a, uh, a provocateur for the brand. For sure. So essentially, whatever the brand wants to do, it still has to align with what the consumer needs or finds important. So that... That entire idea for me is why growth hacking is the future. The idea that brand voices or marketing managers are not to be questioned. So why are we then in the market trying to talk to people if we are going to insist they, uh, that we're right? That regardless what the consumer wants, we're right. So it's, it's, it's great that you wrote a brief but for me, the first thing to, to do is to find out, are we solving the right problem? Mm. Because ultimately, that's what, that's what will distinguish um, one brand from another, one product from another, if it meets, um, I suppose, consumer expectations from a problem-solving perspective as well in their lives. Well, bottom line, forget about the brand. Bottom line, mm. if it works, I use it. And if it works really well with a great brand story, even better. But to pitch a product at people who really don't want it is the worst thing you can do today, right? Like to, to go to market with a product that people already don't want. What's the point of that? When you could go out to market with a product that people want, then the marketing is easier. In fact, the marketing can be built in, right? So uh, back on Airbnb, Airbnb experiences is, is building in the experience. It's making yes. one venue become more of a tourist experience than just sleeping in some guy's cottage, right? 
So it's that iteration, it's that bravery, it's that willingness to evolve, to iterate your product, to meet the market needs. So that's why in growth hacking, PMF is everything. Product, market, fit. Does the product meet the market's need? Does it fit? And until we get to that apex point, there's no stopping because our consumers are continuously changing. The world is continuously changing. Why would we still also rely on the same briefing process? Can it not be through incremental innovation or incremental changes and evolution in a product to keep meeting this product market fit and to keep iterating to reach this product market fit? So let me give you an example, right? I worked on a large teleco, uh, Safaricom in, in Kenya, and it was the best in, in the country. They had about 78% market share, round about there. Great service, but it was a premium service. They were trading on the fact that they were premium service. There was no way they were gonna cut their rates. It didn't make any sense. They were killing it, they were milking it. But they had a section uh, section of the market, uh, namely young people, who couldn't afford these premium prices regardless of the fact that it was a premium service. So they had the best coverage, the best speeds, 5G, 4G, whatever you, they had M-Pesa, you know, so even an added bonus. Um, in fact, there are more M-Pesa users than Safaricom users in, in Kenya, right? So essentially what we had to do is we had to devise a new vehicle to actually speak to these people and actually devise new products to reach out to them, right? So because it was a new thing and we're reaching out to, uh, to a market that is not necessarily a market that we talk to all the time, we couldn't do the same things. It had to be an absolutely different way of going about. We, we built something called uh, Blaze, which, which basically is probably what we would call Vodacom next. Okay, I see, yeah. So sometimes the issue is comes, but sometimes it's not. And solving the wrong problem is just as bad as doing nothing. Hmm. I guess this brings me, I think, sorry for jumping in there, but I think this brings me to, I guess this brings me to the next question that I had, which is really a question around um, whether brands and agencies across the African continent in your experience are open to almost breaking the mold and building creative strategies or strategies that that work in a local context in country as well as to almost change you know the narrative of the African continent from a so brand and strategy perspective just the, the long and short of it, actually, to be honest, or the thick and broad of it, it's actually only in South Africa where the advertising has nothing to do with the mass of the population. It's only in South Africa where advertising is done in languages that people hardly speak, sixth, fourth, fifth language, which is English, where the vast majority of the population don't, don't do that. It's only in South Africa where I found that all of the advertising is about aspiration and it's not about the kind of aspiration you would think would be present in, in Africa. 
It's about the kind of aspiration that says, well, be a bit more European in an African style. Be a bit more suburban. It's, it's always aspiration away from being an African. I found that clearly, 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 in South Africa is where you actually find advertising that has nothing to do with reality. In the rest of the continent, advertising is actually a tool for generating uh, assistance and useful things. So first things I noticed when I arrived in Nigeria, for example, is that beer companies don't do hectic like billboards and posters everywhere. What they do is they are... Uh, they make uh, plastic chairs and tables for all the drinking places where their product is consumed. They provide all the necessary material and support for people to stock their booze and sell it in a comfortable setting. Mm-hmm. They even assist with things like hooking you up with Super Sport or DSTV so more people come to your place, you know? So very so it's more it's more experiential, more an experience type of brand communication or experiential type of brand communication, which which I suppose provides a level of usefulness or user experience inside. I wouldn't say experiential, solving a problem. Sure. Experiential sounds like um, marketing on the ground. No, this is about actually solving real issues, right? Like, actually solving real issues. So there's a thing called a viewing center in Nigeria. You go to a hall and somebody sets up a whole bunch of TVs and people come to watch football. They pay a minimal fee of like a dollar or something and they can watch all the football, all the leagues, all all they feel because they can't afford to actually have a, a, what you call a dish at their houses. Our intervention initially was to try and tell them how cheap or how easy it would to, to get their own dish. But the fact is, those people couldn't afford it. And they also wanted the atmosphere of that experience, of being with other people. So what we tried to do is actually try to get people to go in 5544. So you still have that level of camaraderie, etc. And that works better. We didn't have to do a campaign about that. So ultimately, for me, what we need to solve is what the client's problem is. We need to solve the right problems. Otherwise, we just exacerbate the problem. And I think for the longest time in South Africa, which is why the advertising is tone deaf, the strategies are written to get approval. They're not necessarily tools to help the client do better in the market. Your your view is that brands should be trying to solve a problem. Sometimes it's not a communication issue. Sometimes it's a brand issue. Um, Sometimes it's a product issue and we need to find that fit. Are there any brands that you've noticed in recent times that are doing this? If you're enjoying The Lead Creative, please take a moment to share this episode with your network. Please hit subscribe or follow this podcast to get our latest episodes. Enjoy the show. I mean, off the top of my head, I would say Capitech. Capitech is a bank like any other bank, but they operate on a slightly different level. They operate from the idea that banks can do more than take. Banks can be thoughtful. Banks can operate from a position of simplicity, right? I'm a Capitech user, by the way. 
that's my favorite thing about the the the, the brand. The app has six buttons. Mm. Six buttons. Try opening a FNB app. Try opening a Standard Bank app. Too much. It's it's simplicity. All a bank is is my finance department for my life. That's all it is. It shouldn't be complicated. It shouldn't be flashy. All Capitex says is borrow, save, and there's a third one. Borrow, save, and credit, something mm. like that. Yeah. Credit or but, transacts or something or like transact. that. Yeah. yeah. Three things. Three things, and they do them well. For example, they have one account, and they do it well. They don't have the plethora of weird things, gold, silver, platinum, one, one, one. Everybody at Capitec, whether you earn a million bucks or you earn 2.6, is on the same uh, account. So it's about solving problems. That's why people are rushing to Capitec. They are the only bank, for example, who said, you do not have to be my salaried uh, account. Open yes. an account. We're not going to force you to do, what do they call it? Uh, swap. What do they call it? Uh, that whole transaction where your bank wants to now change over your debit orders or whatever. Capitec figured something out. People wanted a, an account where the money could be theirs. Think about that. Think about that from a psychological perspective. Like, this is an account that doesn't stress you. You've got yeah, all the other yeah. accounts and all the debts and all the... Da, 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 da. Here's an account that doesn't stress you. Now, this is built into the thinking, not to the noise they make. It's built into the entire thinking of saying, how do we be a bank but stand out just by the position we come from, coming from a purpose of adding value. They haven't done anything miraculous. In fact, FNB does miraculous things every week, but they're losing market share to a bank that seems like it's every man's bank. And it seems that's what everybody wants. So in this case... Wait, this can I give you another example? Just now, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it in a moment. We'll get to it in a moment because I'm very interested in a lot of um, what you said here. It's all really, very fascinating. That I mean, this bank in 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 Capitec came into the market when there were bigger players that had, I suppose, a legacy yes. in the market that had built themselves up over years and years with I, the bonds and different products and different offerings which made the process a lot more complex. Is it also not on the, you know, one of the disruptors' advantages coming into an industry and the market and seeing where you can change it versus having been in the industry for a long time with the legacy and almost knowing your space or knowing your customer? Or should you always trying to get to know your customer better, which I suppose is, is also another way of looking at it. Okay. So fundamentally, the different approaches are this, right? So PSG has had that license for a while. Capitec existed for a couple of years before they became a deposit-taking institution, but they were a bank already. What they were doing, they were doing short-term loans, and they were doing the loan shark thing, basically, unsecured loans, etc. So there were other people in the market doing that, lots of them, in fact. And they have banking licenses, like African Bank, for example. 
Yes. Nowhere near the success of this bank, of, of Capital. Nowhere near. Not even the, 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 the newcomers who are popping up now are doing anything close to what Capital is doing. The other end of your question is, should we always be getting to know our customers better? Which almost scapegoats ourselves as the brand. And the question, are we still relevant? Are we, are, have, have we built enough into our thinking that we understand how long we can ride our current legacy? So like I was explaining with Safaricom and Blaze, Safaricom can continue to be a premier business and, and offer the younger consumer through Blaze the best service, but at a discount. Uh, but also what Blaze doesn't have is high overheads in terms of high spend on marketing mm. and corporate this and that. It's a very specific brand. It targets a very specific group of people. It knows exactly where it can get them. They're on social media. They're not expensive to reach, right? So you're building a new system underneath the old system because the thinking is there. Sometimes we have to change ourselves to suit the customer. It doesn't matter how well you know the customer. If you're not the relevant solution, it's not going to help you. So as, we, uh, as you said about um, first, first or last latecomer advantage, well, there isn't really anything that, that stops any other bank like EPSA from flattening out their legacy stuff and building accounts that make sense to their customers. But they won't. So the fact is, it's not even about legacy. It's about saying, we've always done things the way we have. So for example, let's talk about the, the operating times. Why have banks always had the same operating time until Capital came along? Why? Be because to them, it was about them. Fit, well, yes, and the customer had to fit in to the banking hours, 10 to 3 or whatever. Yes. Never, mind what, never mind what people do to get money to put in your bank, right? So we were running around trying to get services. Another bank came along and said, hey, don't run around. We will wait around for you because you're the customer. So one other thing in there is that now, now on, you know, with the disruptor or challenger brand in this in this context you see the legacies you come in there you're able to change it um you're able to act and play differently from your competitors um on the other side there are the legacy brands or brands with the legacy that have call it the budget and the market share mm -hmm. now on the other side on brands that have the budget, that have the market share and all of that, where's your role as a growth hacker, as a creative strategist, as a person working in advertising, marketing or communication in inspiring that change or that change in behavior for a brand that has legacy systems and legacy thinking like that? Is it the role of, a, of the creative strategist or growth hacker to, to, to even inspire that or change that behavior in any way? If, if you want to make meaningful work, yes. If you want to make meaningful work, yes, absolutely. So for me, that's the whole point of agency. The point of agency is not 
to help you go down the the dangerous in, in inevitably disastrous path you're on. An agency must take its agency and go looking for solutions, be they today's solutions, tomorrow's solutions, a solution from 10 years from now, right? So I think for me, the issue is not legacy thinking. The issue is always purpose, right? Purpose is, like a lot of people think like brand purpose and purpose are like uh, theoretical things. They're not. Purpose makes meaning. When you have purpose, you have drive. That's why agencies, businesses with purpose get stuff done because it's bigger than just the profit margin. You can suck people in when you have purpose. You know, like, just think about like Capitec, bro. Like, Capitec was like, we're gonna break these guys. And everybody on this team is gonna help us take over an industry that's been owned by the same people who refused to change. Capitec is essentially a rebel. So you mentioned Capitec quite a bit. And as a challenger brand, I mean, Capitec has done really impressive things. But in your comment there, Lebo, you may also mention um, meaningful, purposeful work, or at least communicating your purpose and creating meaningful work. You know, very briefly, what in your mind is meaningful work? How do you define meaningful work? In the creative, in the creative space and advertising and communication, where sometimes, you know, where sometimes a brand and its products come to an agency with the brand and product for you to communicate, or come to to you, uh, a growth hacker and a strategist who flies solo with a product that is already there. How then do you find a way to create? this meaningful work or should you or should it not be a thing that you're always always wanting to do that some work is some work is just for you know for paying the bills and communicating what the brand wants to communicate and some work is for creating that meaningful work and how do you define that meaningful work so for me meaningful work (laughs) is work that starts with people. So I often tell this to my clients and anyone who listen, we're all in the business of people. There's there's no business that can exist without customers. And all customers are people. Even if the customer is a company, it's owned by a person. It's run by people. We're all in the business of people. It doesn't matter what you sell. We're all in the business of people. All of us. Whether you're selling uh, raw materials, you're selling them to a buyer. Selling them to a brand, you, you or yourself are a person who's involved in that transaction. So it every- doesn't matter whether it's B2B or B2C space, no. in the end, it must be people focused. <laughs> that's, that's, so why do I go with one competitor and not the other? One solves my problem and the other doesn't, right? That's the thing. So if meaningful work is to be called meaningful, it solves a problem that people have. And it solves it in a way that allows the business to grow its bottom line, to grow its profits, not just in the context of uh, the economics, but in the context of building the brand and ultimately the community that it needs. So we all need customers. 
And shouting at your customers was cool about 30 years ago. Now you want to help your customer build out. You want your customer to win because when your customer wins, you're winning, right? So for me, it's never a question of one way or the other, right? Sometimes it's just a question of doing things differently. Where we would have made an ad, we would think about whether that's the appropriate answer. So my very favorite example is Equibank, Equity Bank in Kenya. Equity Bank is an old bank. It's been around. It's a Kenyan-owned bank. Uh, hasn't been around as long as like the British banks and the Indian banks, etc. But it's been around as a Kenyan bank. It services the everyday Kenyan. It's known as the Tea Farmers Bank. But their services are like people services. They're very simple worded uh, products. For example, if you live in the fishing villages, so you live around Lake Naivasha, for example, if you yes. need a, a loan, it will be called a fishing net loan. If you, for example, live in the center of Kenya and you need a loan to get a borehole for your farm or whatever, it's called a, a, a maji loan, a water loan, right? It's not that it's something specifically different or anything, but it's literally operating on the basis of what is the problem that we're solving and how do we build our products to solve those particular problems, right, specifically. That sounds um, fascinating. I'm very, I'm very fascinated by that example because, because it's, it's again very specific in its output or its delivery, and 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 it, it talks to a local need and context, right? Yes. So it's so. Think about that from a context of a business loan, because we know he needs the the, the net for business to feed his family to earn money. Think of the context of that being a business loan, the rigmarole of trying to fit into some system that came from somewhere that says a business must qualify for relief funding, like we're experiencing right now. You know, so the magic of this thing is, is, is that it's, it's contextual nature. And that contextual nature is created by its purpose. Its purpose is to solve people's problems, to be the people's bank, to be a community bank. Right. Fast forward to 2016. The market in Kenya for mobile money is growing. The market for telephony and internet services are growing. And the bank realizes, hey, there's a big actual opportunity in actually having a mobile or a virtual mobile the telephone, uh, cell phone business ourselves. So they start something called Equitel. Equitel is basically um, an online bank based on the real bank, but it only exists and operates in real life, right? So the bank had a strategy of digitizing everything and pushing everyone into the mobile spaces to cut costs, et cetera, right? But what they did unlike all the other guys, is they didn't fight the process. What they did mm. is they said, in Kenya, people have dual SIM phones, right? But there's a massive market of people who don't have dual SIM phones who are attached to their current main number. How do we become their second number? 
And hopefully in the future, they're trusted mobile bank and mobile money service. So what did they do? They went out and they found something called the Slim Sim. Basically what it is, it's a SIM card that you stick over an existing SIM card. It's like a sticker. Yeah. And you insert it in your phone and you basically, have, you turn your phone into a dual SIM, SIM phone. It wasn't a new technology that existed before, but they were solving specifically for them, right? Specifically. They had customers who understood uh, another, uh, bus- they understood M-Pesa. Uh, which is Safaricom's uh, uh, mobile money. Uh, yeah, money platform. Yes. But so the market was already primed yeah. for it. The market was primed for it, but nobody was looking at the part of the market that couldn't afford clever smartphones with dual SIM phone. And because the bank always knows who their customer is, always knows that their, their purpose is, is to build value, to add value, to help their people go further, Right. So Equitel slashed the price of data, for example, and started really thrashing the other guys. Because also, you don't have to give up your other SIM. You don't have to change your whole life. And all of a sudden, they also brought a whole bunch of people who were left behind because they had feature phones, or were left behind because they had a single SIM slot. So for me, meaningful work is not about starting at the the end, you know, like, how we've been trained to think. Like, I've decided what the problem is, and I'm, I'm going to tell someone how to solve the problem. Agencies of today have made the, the gross and negligent decision to not be the champion of the people when they deal with clients. That's what agency is. Agency must champion the people when we're dealing with clients. And we must champion the brand when we're dealing with people. But what we've done is we've entirely allied ourselves with the brand. And as a result, we're producing work that's useless to the people, right? So for me, that's where purpose is. Purpose is about actual solving real problems that are actually going to build out and help you be a better business. I get you. So, Nebu, one of the things that comes up in in my conversations with you, which I find to be fascinating, is the talk of the insights that you use to kind of build the work. And I mean, you didn't mention insights, but I mean, a lot of what you say talks around customer insight and understanding the consumer and utilizing a bit of that insight to to to, to either make useful iterations on the product, change the products, or create a completely different product rather than, rather than thinking that a certain mode or kind of communication talks to this product, right? How do you define insights in your space? Because everybody defines insights in a different way, depending on the type of work they do. But in your work in the brand space and brand thinking and growth hacking, very briefly, how would you define an insight or what insights are for you to inform a brand? So I think personally for me, what an insight is, is a timeless truth about humans, right? About human behavior. It's not, it's not numbers on a screen somewhere, which I tend to find nowadays, like when you go into particular businesses, especially the ones that have a lot of like uh, money, 
they have very advanced social media uh, insights team, business um, intelligence uh, teams, but very little on human intelligence. I mean, very little human intelligence, very little focus on the ultimate human being they're going to be dealing with, you know? So for me, ultimately an insight is when you uncover or discover a timeless human truth. So for me, insight is something that will help you uncover the right levers and the right problems to fix. And insights do not have to be reports or periodic. Insights should be living. So yes, yeah. give you an example. I had a retainer when I was a head of strategy in Kenya where I paid young people who were students to regularly give me updates, you know? Any given time, if I had a brief, but anything near their market or for their market, I would be able to pull them out of school and bring them out to come chat to me. Or I would go to them and go hang out in, uh, in res, right? You know, or I would ask them to track how they spend, I don't know what it's called, their stipend that we gave them to be part of the insights team or the insights family, right? So that for me is so much more critical than a brand tracker. This was a human tracker. I could literally yes. track in real time how they're responding to particular occurrences on social media or in the country itself. So, so, so it's not, so, so, I mean, I hear you, I hear you. And, 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 and I fully agree that it's not about, I mean, it's not about how, fancy or advanced your piece of software is or how how good your tracker is it's about almost about the human metric in reaching an insight that is useful and worthwhile for not just brand communication but to distill a human truth that enables that enables either effective communication or brand building or products or to reach that product market fit yes so what we're doing right now is, is we're doing the law of averages. We're looking at data and drawing conclusions on the basis of the data only. We're not asking the question, why are people behaving like this? We're just trying to get them to click again. Even though clicking only gets them to level two of where we want to get them. But because clicking seems to be popular, we do the thing that gets them to click, right? And then someone says, that's a strategy. That's not a strategy. That's just repeating and rinsing a failed process. But if your process was honest, it would be about saying, well, let's talk to these people. We have a matrix that tells us what they're doing and who they are. Let's literally pull our data and go and speak to them. So I work for an insurance company, for example. An insurance company knows a lot of stuff about you. They know what you own, they know your diseases, they know who you're married to. They know your children. They know how much money you get. They know if you've ever been in an accident. They know your credit record. Hell, you need to tell them what sports you're doing. Uh, now with Discovery, they even know where you are. Yes. Why do they need to shout at me on TV? They could literally talk to me specifically about me. 
makes sense. It makes sense. Lebuhang, I know that uh, you and I can end up having, you know, we can sit all day and have this conversation and we and we generally tend to. But um, in closing, in your view, where must brands, agencies, brand communicators, creative strategists who are looking to make a change start if there is one or two places to start or one or two things to kind of make a change in? I honestly think the most important thing is to get off our high horses and remember that the whole thing is about people. And these people are our customers, right? Like, we will never know more than them. The first thing is just get off our high horses. For marketing managers to get off their high horses when they deal with the agencies. For the agencies to get off their high horses when they deal with consumers. That's all we need to do. Just listen to the people who are the consumers, right? Like, it's not that hard, actually. Growth hacking is actually not like this mysterious thing. All it is is just remember who you're doing this for and act like it. Not just in, in, in marketing terms, but in actual terms. Because at the end of the day, the ad will get me to call, but the experience will get me to stay. The ad will get me to call and the experience will get me to stay. I think that's a great place um, to close. Lebuchang, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for listening to The Lead Creative. Did you get one insight that's worth sharing from this episode? Please share it with a friend or anyone who might like it. Pop me some of your ideas and innovative finds on Twitter at Mongezi. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Apple, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. This podcast is also hosted on iafrican.com forward slash radio. You can find me and more of my content on mongezi.com.